You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today's guest is Stephanie Shriak, whose new book, Run to Win, Lessons in Leadership for Women Changing the World, just came out today, January 12th. If there were ever a time that changing the world, and especially our grieving nation, was a dire necessity, it is today. In the wake of the Republican insurrection mob that sacked the Capitol last week in a seditious conspiracy to attempt to delay President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's victory from becoming official. They failed. The future VP actually wrote the foreword to Shriak's book, Run to Win, so she has an unusually up-close and personal view of Trump's rebellion and the women of color whom he desperately tried to prevent from supplanting him and Vice President Mike Pence in just seven days from now. Take a listen to my inspiring interview with Stephanie Shriak. I'm here with Stephanie Shriak. She's the president of Emily's List and the author of the new book, Run to Win, Lessons in Leadership for Women Changing the World, with a foreword by Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we scheduled this interview about your book long before the Capitol insurrection last week, but I really have to start a discussion there for obvious reasons. Did you ever imagine how maybe terrifying and and prophetic the VP-elect's words would be when she wrote them in your book, quote-unquote, the American dream and our American democracy is on the line like never before? I mean, I think I think for all of us that have been paying attention closely for the last four years have known that we are on the very edge here in the the Trump presidency and those who have just lined up uh, with it and the Trump now the Trumpian Republican Party that has been taken over. I wish I could say this is going to be over in eight days. I don't believe it. I, I think we've got we've got a lot of problems ahead of us. And I don't think Trump is going to go away. I wish I could say I was surprised by last week. I wasn't surprised. I was hurt, was saddened. I was angry, but I'm not surprised. He has been trying to incite this type of violence from the very beginning, and it's bound to happen. I mean, I've been up to the Capitol, probably hundreds of meetings, you know, whatever, how how many. And I know that you've been there a few few times before. Um, is Is it surprising just like to see people willing to to destroy and hurt other people like this? Or is this, you know, four years in the making, five years in the making? Well, and it's probably longer than that. It's just, right, It's it's been in the making because there's a faction. Uh, and it's a faction of our, of our people that are anti-government and... Uh, and hate hate everything that the federal government and the state government stand for, and then that gets fed fed in with the white power movement, and then uh, Trump really just pushing it all together. Uh, it was heartbreaking, and I I will say I, for me watching everything on Wednesday, I had two thoughts. My first thought was just deep, deep, deep concern for the members, the senators, and the staff. I I served as a chief of staff for Senator John Tester of Montana years ago. I I know what it's like to be in those buildings. I know what it's like to be locked down because there's a suspicious package, let alone uh, people climbing the walls of our most, you know, most important building in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And, And so I was just very, very nervous 
uh, for our members. And thinking about, we had first time member freshmen, members of Congress there. I am thinking about Corey Bush or Nakima Williams, Carolyn Bordeaux, you know, Marie Newman, I, these, these brand new, this is their first week. They were sworn in days before. And then, I mean, I don't just think about this, put yourself in their shoes. First off, you know, for those that haven't had the honor of being in the United States Capitol, I, I don't know, Scott, if you feel the same way. It's awe-inspiring. Yeah. You, you feel the history of our nation, the good and bad that have walked through those halls, but you feel it. And so it is awe-inspiring to be there and then to be a member on the floor of, the, in this case, the United States House of Representatives and, and going through what should have been and has always been just a simple procedure of, of certifying the Electoral College to next being told you got to evacuate and here's how to use your, your gas mask. Like that happened. That happened to these members. I, I just, my heart breaks. And the only other sort of moment I had was I was, I was, I don't know if you were, I was here in Washington, D.C. Uh, for 9-11. And I was working at the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And at, at the time we were at the, uh, in the DNC building, the Democratic National Committee building, which is about two blocks off of the Capitol on the House side. And I remember that day, and I remember every minute of that day, uh, and I remember members and their staff literally running down South Capitol Street uh, by our building, and we, nobody knew what to do. And then I thought to myself on went last Wednesday, they couldn't even run. They couldn't go outside. They couldn't get away. They didn't know it was outside. We didn't know if there were bombs outside. We didn't know if there were going to be gunshot. We didn't know. And we lost lives. So I, I, this is my long way saying, yes, I'm very emotional about it. And I uh, am heartbroken, but I wish I was surprised. I'm not. And I don't think it's the last. And I think we got to get really serious very quickly about these fringe um, militias and white power movements that are very, very dangerous in this country. Yeah, confront them and not be in denial. It, it, you'll see it in a few minutes, but Jim Jordan just uh, wouldn't admit that at first that Biden had had won. And then uh, Congressman Perlmutter confronted him and, and said, come on, Jim, come on. Like, did Biden win? Did Biden win? Did Bi and he finally, well, yes, yes. But I want to, and he's like, but stop. And, and I think that the denial and the big lie that's been being told, like that, they don't understand maybe that unity. What we mean by that is we welcome you in. We're, we're not going to bend our morals to come to your side of things. We're not going like to that, that that's not going to happen. And so, um, you know, unity is going to be an interesting thing, but they're trying to use it again to divide us by acting like we're dividing the nation by holding the president accountable. It's very interesting. Um, uh, you know, more importantly and more in the positive realm of things, let's talk about Emily's list because it's such a other, other route is just it stinks. And, and you know, I, I know people wanted to hear your opinion on that. So uh, um, but the national political organization you run, which has been phenomenal, um, you know, I've worked on campaigns, but you all have been supportive, uh, at least going back 15 years for me. Um, and you guys have been life changers for a, a lot of a lot of people, uh, and, and it's been awe-inspiring. Can you explain um, who, quote-unquote, Emily is to our listeners and wh <laughs> what it means? 
and how your work seeded the, the blue wave election in 2018. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you know, I I like to I like to say everybody's Emily. Everybody, Scott, you are Emily. Everybody can be Emily. Uh, but the the truth of it is that Emily is actually an acronym that our our founders, um, led by Alan Malcolm, came up with, and it stands for Get Ready. It's kind of funny. Uh, it's, uh, it's early money is like yeast. And why that is the case is that it helps make the dough rise, which means for women, women really struggled uh, fundraising and getting any, well, getting any respect and running. And the, the party establishment in 1985, when Emily's List started, you know, didn't really think women could, could win because they couldn't raise any money. So they didn't invest in them. And so when they didn't invest in them, they couldn't raise any money. So they didn't win. So they were in a catch 22 and Emily's List started initially as just a financial resource uh, to get women up and running, pro-choice Democratic women up to push the Democratic Party to invest in Democratic women. Uh, since then, we have become the nation's largest resource for women in politics. Uh, in fact, in this last election cycle, we spent well over $120 million in a two-year cycle with 120 staff. We are a huge operation working with hundreds and hundreds of women candidates for all levels of office every election cycle now uh, because we know that it takes coaching and training and staff and staff training uh, and just just all of the support around these women. And then with the digital world, even more support now than ever. Uh, and so that's what Emily's List does on top of the financial resources as well. Uh, so that's Emily's List. And I too am a, am a uh, alumni in two ways because my very first campaign, Scott, we were just talking about this before the show started, was in 1996, my first paid gig, super exciting. I was... Uh, the finance director who did not know what she was doing on a congressional race in Minnesota's first congressional district for Mary Reader. When I say I didn't know what I was doing, I literally had never, never done anything like this before. <laughs> Scott's laughing and now he's like, yeah, right. We've both been there in these same, same shoes, same shoes. And uh, our, our mutual friend, Mary Jane Volk came out to Minnesota to train this kid, Stephanie Shriak, on how to be a fundraiser uh, for Mary. And I am so grateful to Emily. So this was even before Mary was endorsed because that's what we do. We invest time uh, in women, even before they're endorsed candidates, to try to get more and more in position to win. And, and then the endorsement comes later. So that's what we do. And we invest in a lot of a lot of human beings uh, who go on to do a lot of great things, like Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lucky enough to have Mary Jane. Uh, you know, she graced my presence in two thousand and six, um, and it just seems like you know she knows she knows workers, and so um, it's all it's always been nice to interact with her over the years. Uh, and so, if MJ, if you're listening, thank you very much for for everything. Yes. Um, from both of us. From both of us. <laughs> We're both here because of it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for creating us. I know. It's pretty cool. And that's and that's what we're here for. And and actually part of the, the book Run to Win has a whole section on fundraising, uh, which you, you will laugh at because you know you've heard so many of these lessons yourself, Scott. 
but for anybody who's looking to make ass of anything, not just raising money, but we have to make ass in our lives a lot for promotions, for salaries, uh, for our kids, for our parents, whatever it is. Uh, it talks about uh, the process of doing that. And a lot, there's a lot of uh, Emily's List uh, knowledge in this book. On, and it's just really you know, basic tactics that people can learn. You don't have to know everything starting out. It's all teachable. And, and we're hoping that this book can be a little starter for so many women and, and even a few good men out there uh, who are looking to make change in the world. And this is a, a question I'm sure you get asked a lot. Um, but I, I, I know it's the book is partly a personal story. Um, I just was curious what obstacles you experienced as a woman in politics and as uh, someone from the Mountain West region on your journey to leading Emily's List, and, and how does that inform your your sort of activism or work? Yeah, and I, the truth is, is that I, I was blessed with uh, a family, a set of parents who really nurtured me and said, hey, you can do anything you, you want to do and whatever you set your mind to. And I know not everybody has that. I, I recognize my my privilege and in having a family that's been so supportive uh, and also being of a generation that came behind uh, and followed the feminist movement uh, that broke down so many doors. So I think about this a lot. Like I was a campaign manager for a number of, of folks, including John Tester, Senator Tester in Montana. And nobody said she shouldn't be a manager because she's a woman. But that wasn't the case 20 years prior. There, there, there weren't women managers uh, very often, if ever, back then. And when I became his chief of staff, nobody said, well, geez, you're going to hire a woman chief of staff. That door had already been broken down. I don't feel like I had to break through doors. I am the beneficiary of a long, long line of women who literally had to break down doors. And I was able to walk through. Now, the catch is... I got into the room and I started looking around and went, uh, there's not very many of us and we're awfully white. It was both it, right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white woman from Butte, Montana. And I, I walked into these rooms going, Whoa, uh, we got a lot of work to do here. And, and I'd done all this great work in democratic politics and had worked for a few women, but truthfully I worked for mostly men. And I was like, I got to do something because it was so clear to me that we have to have at least an equal number of women and men at the decision-making tables. Um, though I would say making up for last time, maybe more women, uh, there's more women in the population. <laughs> so <laughs> we definitely need more black and brown people, particularly women across the board. Uh, because if we don't do this, we're not going to get the policies we need for our communities, period. Just stop. We won't. And we're not. Right. And us white dudes, speaking for us, have kind of blown it like we, we had a chance. And so I always say it's time for an actual representation of the people, not a representation of the rich people um, of, of sorts, I guess. Um, can you share another personal story from the book, perhaps about Georgia's former House Minority Leader and Super Activist Stacey Abrams. <laughs> that, that's that, just a little something about Stacey Abrams. Just a little Abrams. bit. Just a little, <laughs> she's a little popular right now. Just, oh my gosh. Not sure if you heard of her. 
I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. Um, just in awe. The woman teaches me something new all the time. That's the other thing. Yeah, I got to keep learning. We talked about that in the book too. Always be open to learning because that's this is a lifelong learning business that we're in. So Stacey Abrams uh, was Emily's List's very first Gabrielle Giffords Rising Star Award winner. Uh, we had, after um, Congresswoman Giffords uh, ass- attempted assassination, um, thankfully she survived, but so many did not in that terrible, terrible shooting uh, in Arizona. Um, we wanted to do something to honor her because we had worked with uh, Gabby in the legislature and then in Congress. And honestly, you know, I envisioned Gabby being U.S. Senator. She would be U.S. Senator today. Yeah, there's no doubts in my mind. Um, Mark would be very proud of her. <laughs> right? So, uh, and so we wanted to do something about the, of the women who are rising up through local office. And Stacy was so clearly the rising star. I mean, she was like, a shooting star, except she keeps shooting. Like not one of those shooting stars that goes out. It's like gets brighter. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I don't know what that is, but it's like brighter. I'm so excited. Uh, and since obviously um, she ran for governor in in 2018, uh, Emily's List got in and supported her right away. Uh, in fact, over another woman, which we don't always do. Oh, though, interestingly, it's something that we have to think about all the time now, whereas even 10 years ago when I started, it was a rarity to see two women running against each other in a primary. Now it's becoming the norm, which is kind of cool and super complicated. <laughs> but um, Stacy obviously didn't win that uh, governor's race uh, for lots of reasons that included, I think, some hanky-panky in the Secretary of State office that happens to be now the governor. Uh, but she is a perfect example of one, a rising star, to somebody who's very thoughtful and builds a great community and network around her uh, and, and loyalty. But she also, um, she's a great example of somebody who gets through a loss and comes back like full speed ahead, right? Just full speed. She didn't, I had to beg her to take a vacation, beg her, which I think she did. And I think she took like four days. I mean, she was just like, we got to go. And she's right. I just, I were as a friend. I'm like, I need you to be healthy too. So take care of yourself, girl. You need to be, (laughs) we all got to take care of ourselves. Uh, But that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of leaders we want in our country, right? Who are, who can walk through a loss and come back because these are all risks. People will win and people are going to lose, but that's just a step in the process. Yeah. This has been a different time. uh, Noticing uh, that word vacation. I can't really think that's what you said. I have not had one of those in a very long time. And I was planning, I was going to, you know, after the election was decided and then it's like, okay, well now it's December. Like, like now I'm going to take like a week off or I'm going to, no. And then, you know, last week, no. And so after the 20th, when things get settled, I promised everybody that I will take, uh, I don't, I don't know. I'll take a break for an hour or so and then get back to work because, uh, oh my gosh, you're so exci- funny. you do actually say, you know, I, we talk about this too. And I, and I am serious about this. I, we do work ourselves into the ground a lot mm-hmm. and that's not good. And we need to be more mindful of our own health because, 
like that's how we make the best decisions. And I, I am, I'm someone who has the represent, like I, I have to work myself into the ground and, and un- unfortunately, I mean, thankfully I'm doing really, really well. And I do talk about this a little bit in the book, uh, right when Christina Reynolds, my co-writer and I started writing the book, I had a stroke, uh, very obviously very, as strokes are very unexpectedly. And it was crazy. And, uh, and it took them a bit to figure out even what had happened because I'm pretty young. And in that case, at least fairly young. And, uh, did you know when you, when it happened, did you know, or did you wake up in the hospital or like what happened? No, I knew it was, it went really fast. It went relatively fast, but I am, unfortunately I'd had clots twice before in different parts. And so I, I suspected it was a stroke because of my clot history, which is like a lot of folks who have strokes don't have any history like that. So it can be really terrifying. It is terrifying. Uh, no, but I had the best lift driver of all time who took me to the hospital and it was so, so kind. Cause all I knew was like, something was wrong. Things were not working. My left side was missing. Like it was kind of crazy. Uh, but then it all started coming back relatively quickly because like I said, I was I'm generally pretty healthy, but it, it, it was a wake up call to say, okay, hold on here. Like I fly, you know, for me all the time, pre pandemic, uh, like all the time. And I've got a clotting issue. So I got to think of, you know, we got to think about how we're going to do these jobs so we can do them well. Uh, and we can, and that's the other thing. We are all stuck in these, in these rules that have been set a very certain way, and we have to start breaking those. And and we again, something we talk about in the book is, you know, there's this one way to do everything, and that's not the case. And women will go about and do this work differently. They already are doing it differently. And that's why another reason I think is good for all of us, particularly our families, to get more women in office is that we will start structuring the entire process of governing in a more manageable way, uh, particularly for families. Like what we do for, uh, you know, to these families of elected officials is outrageous. And just we just need to we need to be mindful that they are human beings too. Like elected officials are human beings. I swear they are. <laughs> and we're really lucky to have, to have them. They're brave to put their names on the ballots and we got to back them up and we got to provide better systems and we have to make sure that they remain healthy. Now they have to take that responsibility too. So you should take a vacation, even though we're in a pandemic and vacation is like in the other room. But <laughs> I'm okay with that. You know, I got uh, old episodes of Monk and Psych that I need to watch from nice, my nice. old USA program. No, uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Truth. I love it. Uh, the updated Office episodes have come out, so the super fans, I, I love that. Um, it's. I love that you have a plan. Yeah, I. You know, I'm. I'm ready to go, and then this happens. That happens. Yeah, there was no. This was not the time. You're right. Let's get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, <laughs> sworn in. And whew. what do you think about the? Um, me, me personally, I, I fully supported in every way, and I fought for for five years now. But uh, what do you think about him uh, being removed from Twitter and banned forever? 
I, I think when you're dealing with someone who's in, uh, who wants to be a dictator and using the using the platforms to build a a movement to to end democracy, then yeah, we better do something. And frankly, we should think about what else we're doing around the world uh, with autocratic leaders who are literally taking away people's rights and we've got to hold them all accountable. Like this is, this is a gotta be a global issue. We are in a very dangerous time right now with autocratic leaders who think they can do whatever they want to do. Well, they can, they're autocratic leaders. That's, that's what they do. Uh, and you know, that leads to fascism and that's, you know, that leads to, um, huge gigantic problems for vast major vast segments of society who will be left out and we can't, we can't, this is where we are. We are about democracy and we are about individual liberties and this is not how we're going to go about doing it. So yeah, I think this is, this is what you get. And I think the the interesting thing that's happened is there's been a shift. Um, not only is he not there anymore to provide the propaganda, he's not there to lift other people up. And so they're losing followers because they're used to an 80 million person following lifting you up. And then you get all these followers that roll in. And so now they're complaining because they are doing these terrible acts and trying to carry the same thing. And bot networks are shut down and they shut down his account. Um, you know, promote. So their biggest promoter has then been shut down. But the worst outcome for them out of all of this, not just those things, is the fact that everyone else online then is no longer focused on him. They are all focused on, and that's why all of a sudden they're feeling heat and they don't have, I, I, this is, I they don't have the dumpster fire clown. That's what I call him. I apologize if that's disrespectful to whatever he's called now. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it, it's just something that, ugh, it's, it's just a disgusting situation. But in a more positive note, if you were speaking to a woman right now who is watching the fever pitch of politics, maybe they saw the storming of the Capitol, maybe they thought about running for office, and then they're like, well, I don't know. They're considering running for office for the first time, maybe based on that Capitol attack being like, I want to stand up for my country, I want to fight for my country. Um, you know, what would you tell them? I don't do it. And maybe it's, maybe you're running in a local race. Maybe you're running uh, for federal office or anything in between. Uh, but I, I would imagine, and I've learned over the last four years that when moments like, like last Wednesday happen, uh, American women do not uh, go hide under their beds. American women stand up and fight like hell and run for office and back each other up. And that's exactly what we're going to continue saying. We've seen it every step of the way. We've seen it through the hard times and we've seen it through the good times. They, they stand up when they see victories like 2018 and more of them run. They stand up when something terrible happens uh, like Kavanaugh, you know, they, they stand up uh, to, to, because they realize if they don't, their voices are not going to be heard. And that's to me is what I saw on, on Wednesday. If we don't stand up now, our voices will be silenced. And, uh, and this isn't just some moment. This is a cultural change. And we're going to see this for years and years to come. How do you think this all, let's two questions. How, how do you think this all ends for um, Donald and his, I guess we can call it a regime or, or whatever, the administration, the people that 
have jumped ship last minute and also people who spent time with them. What do you, how do you think this ends for them just in the long run? Yeah, talk about profiles of courage, huh? Jumping off the ship now, really. The Titanic is going down. To avoid the 25th, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, I, right. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave before I have to sign the 25th Amendment. Give me a break. I mean, honestly, I have like no, <laughs> none. Like, do the right thing. My Pence, do the right thing for your country. Just sign the damn thing. Be president for eight days. It'd be so cool. Good for you. You can be president for eight days. As I'm telling you, he's never going to be president of the United States. If I have anything to say about it, anybody in this administration ever, anything like it is outrageous what they have done, what they have allowed to happen uh, there. We just, it is terrible. And now we just have to do everything we can to try to have like open conversations. And this is where I think women are really, really important, not just women candidates, but women in the communities uh, to start healing. There are not 74 million Trump loving supporters out there. That is not the case. It is a small faction of militias and white power movements that are very, very, very dangerous that are feeding into this autocratic uh, desire to take down our government. But the vast majority, I really believe this, and maybe I'm just being naive, but I do believe the vast majority of those folks are open to wanting a calmer society that is focused on moving forward. And we may have some disagreements on how that looks, and we can talk about that We've got to go back into our communities and have some really serious uh, conversations. And we have to listen. We have to understand why uh, they were so angry at this. But a lot of this, to your point, is the disinformation and misinformation of, of the social network uh, that has been designed and, and the advertising. Like we just, it's just gotten to be such a mess. Uh, the propaganda is... I just, it's terrifying, which is why we need, you know, that's why I want people to think about this book as maybe even just a way to start bridging. Like, what are a few things I could do? And I think one of the chapters that is really the most important in our lives is know your story and how to, how to share it and how to tell your story, because it's the stories, my story your story, our live stories that connect each of us to each other. That's what, I mean, since we've been able to communicate as humans, it was about storytelling. And we need to use that again to bring people together and not to separate people. And that is not, um, you know, yes, online is a tool to use and we've got to use it appropriately but it's also doing it directly in our communities because we have a lot in common. We have way more in common. Thank you. This was, this was really meaningful to me and I know it will be to a lot of people as well. Your, your insight on everything has has been phenomenal. Um, And to me, I'm having that moment of like 15 years full circle of meeting you and this happening is very overwhelming, but um, I think with leadership like like you, we will get through this. And and I appreciate all your patriotism. I know, I know, I know what you face um, sometimes. In, in you know from from this game and and what we were we're doing. And uh, um, you know, 
you really have, have made a difference and you're saving people's lives and just straight up you're an American patriot and I, and I thank you for your, your time and, and all you do for this country. Well, thank you so much. That was very kind. I just feel like we're all in this together and we'll, we'll get through. The book is run to win. Stephanie Shriak. Make sure you pronounce it right. Not like me where I, I sometimes will butcher some names as you all will know. Um, we'll have uh, the book link in the episode's notes. And then we'll also have links to Emily's list and other places that you can visit. Stephanie Shriak, thank you for joining us on the show. I hope you have a wonderful week. And let's look forward to tomorrow and some justice and impeachment. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Stephanie Shriak for joining me. Thanks to our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern. You can visit our website at DorkinReport.com for more episodes. Thanks again for listening. Keep resisting. <laughs>